The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, friends. I'm your host, Chris Thrill. I'm a former Royal Marines commando. I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Richard, how are you, mate? Yeah, good, thanks. Very good indeed. Very good. How are you? Yes, every day is uh, wonderful. <laughs> um, where in uh, in the world are you? you? Are you at Goodwood now? Uh, no, Salisbury in Wiltshire. That's where my family home is and where we've been based for uh, quite some years now. Okay. And what's the connection with Goodwood? Is that kind of where you te- test your equipment? Yeah, we, 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 uh, yeah, we were just there yesterday um, setting up a, a new training rig for people who want to come and learn to fly one of these uh, jet suits. And uh, we've done the, the, the Festival of Speed there. And, and actually, we, we shot a really cool film. Uh, we should be going out um, maybe even nationally uh, in the next couple of weeks. We shot that last week as well. So we, we've, we've done a lot of good wood. It's kind of, we've got a shared kind of spirit there in terms of horsepower, speed, aviation, cars all that kind of stuff you know jet seats are a million miles away from that world yeah it's funny you say that because i was up there um a few months ago filming uh the spitfire simulator yeah brilliant okay because they've got the flight bolt me flight academy there and uh my friend designed and built the, the spitfire simulator and as a pilot that was an amazing amazing experience because it's at, it's, it is actually the cockpit of a spitfire you just, oh, that's you know, you just don't don't go in the air. So part, part of the uh, part of the film we just shot uh, includes flying alongside. While it was taxiing, though, we didn't kind of take off with it. But uh, I flew alongside in a jet suit. Uh, one of their trainer, well, the two seater Spitfires, as it was taxiing along. That was pretty special. I bet. And Richard, can we go back to your RMR? Um, time in the RMR yeah. just because we we get a lot of uh, sort of people listening that um, um, have some sort of interest in the military or or yesterday I spoke to a veteran for peace which was um, a really productive productive mm-hmm. chat so can you tell us what how did you join the RMR or, or why yeah so I, I, I uh, when I was at university I had a place uh, to get a Sandhurst and that was kind of one of my you know, one of my main plans. Um, and then having met my now wife at the university, and this is some time ago, I mean, I graduated back in 2001. Um, I, and also spent a lot of time in the RMR at university doing, uh, sorry, the OTC, uh, the officer training corps at university doing uh, a lot of stuff there. I kind of got a bit tempted to think, well, why don't I look at the commercial world and go down the route of, um, uh, of, of frankly making some money. Uh, and uh, I ended up joining BP, the oil company, and ended up with a 16-year career as an oil trader. Um, so that, that worked out quite well from that front. Uh, but I knew I'd always regret not joining the forces. So after only a couple of years of, uh, of working in the city, I, uh, I looked around and found the RMR. I didn't realize there was a Royal Marines kind of outfit where you had to 
go through the same process you go through the same commando course to get your green lid and everything and um yeah got sort of sucked into that world and it was very much one of those uh, one of those kind of processes which probably lots of people listening will be um familiar with, with where you think well that sounds like a great challenge i i really don't know if i can get through that or not but i'm really up for the challenge and then you turn up and think oh no i can't let myself down now <laughs> i've got to see this through and the rmr is quite a torturous process in that you've got to go through the equivalent of limston you know the full year that you're down there as, as a regular soldier um uh, you've got to try and pack that into your free time evenings and weekends and still pass the commando course so it usually takes a couple of years and uh trying to dig yourself out on a friday night from a tiring week at work to go and get kicked around the uh you know the uh the wet and cold uh for a weekend is quite tough but anyway yeah, i got my got my lid and spent six uh years with the rmr wow it's great you you say all this because I get asked this question a lot by people that that wanted to join the Marines when they're younger, but they never did. And they say, what could I do? Am I too old to join now? I, so I, I always say you, you could consider the um, consider the RMR. It, it is good. I mean, it's it's uh, it's actually an amazing bunch of people that get through it because. Uh, it was just a blow my trumpet here, but but um, I mean, a lot of people show up at the beginning, and I think I think we had something like. I don't know, 150 at our kind of intake. Uh, and I, it's all changed now, but it used to be every six months a sort of intake. And it was everything from, you know, there, there was there was some, uh, you know, consultants, some uh, sort of city lawyers. There was a guy who um, was unemployed. There was a guy who was a sort of recovering, you know, uh, well, he was recovering from some things that were pretty bad, but he had obviously, you know, got through them. Uh, some guys who were unemployed, some students, you know, there's such an amazing cross-section of people. And yet after only a couple of weekends, and the numbers collapse, you know, there's a number of people who probably watched some films and thought it was fun to turn up and then have their minds changed. Um, but, um, but after even a few months, the kind of quality of people, the camaraderie of the people, despite their eclectic backgrounds, uh, is fantastic. And the final few who are still there two years later to get their lids, you know, despite that variety of backgrounds, you know, that I, I'm still in touch with a few of the people I, I went through, through with. So, uh, yeah, it was a pretty... I'm quite proud of it as a sort of second place to having a full-time career in the force. I'm, I'm glad I got through it anyway. Good. And that that really is a tick in the bucket list, then, isn't it? To get your to 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 kind of you know to want to get a green berry and then to actually get it, but to do it all off your own back in your own time or on a, on a part-time basis is um, must be must have been quite rewarding. Yeah, yeah, it was. But but uh, again, you know, during the process, uh, I remember it being hugely hard work and, you know, a constant test of your own motivation and ability to keep picking yourself up. It was, um, yeah, it was hard work. But like anything in life, I suppose, you know, the more you put into it, the more you get out. So, uh, yeah, it was hard work. And your, your company is called Gravity. Yeah. And the suit is called, is it the Daedalus Mark One, or have you moved on from that? Yeah, that, that was, uh, so Daedalus was a name we used for the very first kind of really early version back in 2017 when we launched it. Uh, it's come a long way since then. I mean, there's several in the background. There's the most clear, simple one sitting there. There's several around there, but uh, that one sitting in the background, for instance, is what we call the Mark II suit. I mean, we just call it a jet suit. I mean, essentially, it's a big engine on the back, a pair of smaller engines on each arm, the pair of small engine equates to roughly the same power as that larger engine. You've got the fuel tanks either side. And then, uh, yeah, but with just that equipment that's sitting there uh, and, and the, the helmet is a bit confusing. It should be facing the other way if you were wearing it. That's the back of the pack. Um, then uh, that, that's a thousand horsepower jet suit that allows you to fly around. 
Wow. And it's you really have crossed a big leap in technology because I told my little boy, I'm speaking to the Iron Man and, and he gets it. <laughs> um, you know, this 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 Hollywood that we all know is um all CGI and, and, and not true, but actually you you're you're not, you know, you're you're the as close to that as we can get at the moment. Um yeah, pretty pretty much. I mean it's it, it's uh you know, you're obviously not using the kind of fanciful form of propulsion that they have in the film. Uh, but in terms of getting as close as you can to a human being having to add as little as possible to the human frame to fly, yeah, that's probably about it. I mean, that gear there is 23 kilos. In normal circumstances, that equipment packs into two civilian suitcases. That's why we, before COVID, uh, cracked 103 events in 30 separate countries in three years uh, with me and my other pilots flying at events all over the world. Um, so it is ridiculously compact and small and portable. And, and even, I mean, that one starts up in about 45 seconds from cold. Um, the prototype one of which I can't show you, but some of it's sitting on the lab table over there, um, starts up from cold in 10 seconds. So, I mean, you're starting to creep in the direction of the kind of, you know, the kind of performance you see in a film where, you know, you're wearing an Iron Man suit and you say, yeah, I'm going to fly. And then you just go and fly. You can't quite do that. But we're getting close. Mm. Yeah. And, you probably get fed up of being asked, but where, what, what sowed the seed? Where did the idea come from? How, how did you get it off the ground? Yeah, yeah, so to speak. Um, right, so, you know, my background, I was, I was an oil trader. I spent that time in the military. I used to do things like triathlons, and I used to do a lot of training for calisthenics. You know, that kind of is quite popular now where you kind of do muscle-ups, uh, flags. Were you using your own body weight as a sort of training thing? I used to do that in my kind of lunch breaks in my uh, training time so the result was i was fairly or well, i'm still fairly light and strong um you know i'm not massive i'm not huge and muscled but i'm pretty strong for my weight and that a lot of which came from the royal marines um kind of inspired me to think wouldn't it be really cool if you could reinvent human flight um and i should say as well my entire family background was from the world of aviation uh, and engineering so basil blackwell was one of my grandfathers who used to run westland helicopters um so i sort of grew up around this world um so i had this ludicrous idea wouldn't it be really cool if you could have a crack at human flight but go as minimalist as you can imagine just adding just the smallest amount of technology to the human frame for strength and the brain from a balance point of view and i had this hunch not that I'm any great, um, you know, snowboarder or skier or anything like that. But when you really think it, think about it, it's amazing how the human brain can balance in that way. Um, so I had this hunch that if you just added the right amount of power in the right places, you could learn to, to support your weight on that propulsion, you know, harking back to my calisthenics time. And then it wouldn't be just cool if it worked. And back in 2017, I started playing around with it. You can see loads of this stuff on our uh, on our YouTube at, at Gravity Industries. If you look on there, we put a lot on there since uh, the COVID lockdown as well. And I started messing around, uh, put one engine on one arm. I sort of uh, had this arm mount where I had one engine kind of hosing away and realized, oh my God, it's actually like really controllable. Um, and so then I, I doubled them. I put one on each arm and then found that I could jump around and, and balance quite well. And then I doubled them and it just went on this journey. And by November of that same year, I did the very first flight, still in a little farmyard down the road from here. Um, but I flew for six seconds in a kind of wobbly puppet kind of way, had, had an engine on the back of each leg back then. 
and realized that, yeah, it was quite tricky back then, but you could just sort of balance this thrust. And yeah, since then, it's just escalated to the point where now we can train most people to fly one of those in a day on a tether um, just for safety. Uh, and it's quite remarkable. Yeah, you can do some pretty ludicrous stuff, as you can see on all our social media. And what kind of engine is it? Is it some sort of turbine? Yeah, so they are little jet engines, really. I mean, to be specific, they're turbojet, so there's no bypass fan. But essentially, it's a tube, but there's a compressor at the front, a centrifugal compressor, a bit like a turbocharger. And then you get the combustion inside the chamber, and then you get a load of hot air blowing out the back end, blowing a turbine wheel, which itself then runs the compressor. It's like super simple jet engine. Uh, but the benefit of them is that for something that weighs 1.9 kilos, so one of those little engines there, um, they put out 22 kilos of thrust. So that's what, four or five pounds of weight for nearly 50 pounds, 45 pounds of thrust, uh, which is a kind of ridiculous ratio. Uh, and also the thrust is in the form of just a stream of hot air. And it's, it's actually quite benign. I mean, the, the engines burn jet fuel or diesel. Jet fuel, to most people's surprise, is almost identical to diesel. It is not gasoline. It is not hydrogen. It is not some sort of rocket fuel that's going to blow up. It is diesel. It's actually extremely benign. You can, and I never recommend anybody do this, but you can literally put out matches in it if you really yeah. wanted to prove how benign it is. Um, so as a result, it's actually really very safe. It's actually probably safer flying around from a few feet off the ground with that than it is riding around fast on a motorbike with a tank of gasoline between your knees. Um, so, um, so yeah, it's actually a very simple concept, but now with a lot of IP built into that, and all of this is 3D printed now as well, which is quite nice. I would never have thought, um, as I said, I think I said earlier, I am got my pilot license. I remember I used to fill, fill my plane up with Avgas, which is what we're talking about, is it? I uh, know, right. No, no. So, so Avgas is aviation gasoline. That is gasoline. It's just cleaner, neater, nicer gasoline than car gasoline. You've got two populations of fuels. I was in the oil industry, so I should know a little bit about this. So you've got the gasoline kind of fuel, so Avgas and gasoline. And then you've got diesel and jet fuel. Ah. Diesel and jet fuel, they're, they're all slightly further down the spectrum of heaviness. The next one would be like heating oil. And then you carry on down the road all eventually to kind of fuel oil and the stuff you run ships on and eventually crude oil. If you go back up the other end past gasoline, you head towards uh, LPG, propane, butane, and eventually hydrogen. Super light, very gassy and explosive. So actually, one of the reasons why the aviation industry for jet engines uses diesel or jet fuel rather is because it's really quite stable and benign. It doesn't form vapor clouds like your Avgas would. Uh, I wouldn't really want a big pack of that on my back. You know, you split that and uh, potentially you get a vapor cloud. You split this. I mean, we've never split a fuel tank, but if you did, it's really hard to set fire to. Even harder if you point a jet engine at it because all it does is just blows it away really quickly. Um, so it's actually surprisingly, surprisingly safe. And Richard, did you have to motivate the project or did the project motivate you? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I, 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 since I was a kid, I, I grew up, I was an only child. I grew up around my father, um, who was a maverick inventor and builder and engineer. Um, I used to grow up around his workshop building and making things all the time. Um, and so I just had it in my DNA to be in a sort of workshop like this, which I didn't really manage to do much of during my oil trading career. But I love the whole ethos of taking an idea, getting it's probably in a childish kind of way, getting excited about it and then going off and quickly trying to build something around it and trying to get my hands dirty with the prototype. That whole process is very natural to me. I'm also very used to 
being disappointed by many of these ideas never working and never going anywhere. That's a critical part of being, a, I suppose, a pioneer or an inventor or an entrepreneur or whatever. You've got to get very used to things breaking and failing and not working very well at all. Um, so, yeah, this journey is quite, I'm quite familiar with, with this as a, as a sort of pathway. Um, and I guess to answer your question, I suppose, I suppose that the, the potential excitement of the goal, the, the very ludicrous idea that you could ever achieve this, I mean, it still looks fake. If you look at the clips online, they look fake. They, they look ridiculously serene and effortless. And then when you watch it live, the joyous thing, it looks even more fake when it's right in front of you. Um, so to, to believe that this was even possible before I'd even done it was quite a leap. But still, I was tantalized by the possibility it might just work. And that's probably what motivated me. Brilliant. And what, what laws are we talking here? Do you need any sort of, you know, of, I'm guessing not a yep. pilot's license. Yeah, good question. So um, we flew one of those hundred odd events was uh, the Farnborough Air Show. As you probably know, you know, one of the most illustrious, you know, once every two years, really high profile military and civilian air shows. And they asked us to fly there and uh, they got the CAA on board, uh, Civil Aviation Authority in the UK. And we sat down with them and uh, they, I, I think fair to say, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but um, they were really quite excited and supportive of what we were doing, but very wary that we were going to create some sort of risk. I think they were quite happy to hear that we weren't planning on sort of selling these in wholesale <laughs> anywhere. I mean, we, we built a few for private clients, but, you know, we're very safe and secure about this kind of thing. Uh, we don't fly over people on property. We keep it all very, you know, very sensible. Um, and as a result of all of that, they gave us uh, permission to fly the main run runway at Farnborough, which is crazy. And the FAA have taken the same approach and the same with the Military Aviation Authority as well. Hence, we've flown the Bournemouth Air Show and, uh, sorry, the Yeobleton Air Show as well. Uh, and all sorts of things. Um, strictly speaking, we are not classed, what we do is not classed as an aircraft. We are under 150 kilos, pilot and equipment, and we don't usually have a fixed wing rot or, or rotary wing. Um, therefore, we don't classify as an aircraft. So therefore, none of the aviation rules, strictly speaking, apply to us. We also don't classify as a drone. So <laughs> the good news is no rule set applies at all to us. The bad news is it's therefore not possible to find any rule set that gives you explicit permission to do what we do, what we're doing. However, as a result of our track record, the CAA, FAA and MAA are very supportive of what we do. And we self-regulate about not flying in the way of any other aircraft. We don't go high enough that it's going to hurt yourself or anybody else. And we don't fly over people or property. So essentially, we, we self-regulate. Incredible. Because, yeah, I mean, you are essentially a rocket, aren't you, as, as opposed to a um, no, not, I wouldn't say a rocket. I mean, a, a rocket is an entirely different form of propulsion. I mean, rockets are either liquid fuel or solid fuel and pretty explosive, chaotic, crazy things. Um, these are highly controllable gas turbines that spool up and down. We, we, it, the closest analogy, bizarrely, to what we do and why we've got bits of this aircraft stuck all over our lab is actually a Harrier. <laughs> do you remember the Harrier jump? Yeah, yeah. yeah weirdly how that flies which is by blowing air downwards and then the nozzles all swivel and then it propels itself forward weirdly that's the closest analogy to what we do right got you yeah i was uh, i spent a year on hms invincible and um every so often the, the ship's company would line out and the harrier would just take off and put on a bit of a performance quite amazing to see it just hover up three or four feet off the deck and then just tilt yeah. and yeah straight so straight. One, one of my pilots is an ex-royal navy uh, harrier and seeking pilot actually and when we did the yeovilton air show last year um which is the big as you know but the big royal naval um kind of um air arm fleet air arm display 
which culminates in a whole load of heli helicopters and fireballs and all sorts of stuff. Um, we took part in it, myself and two other pilots. And one of those pilots used to fly the what's called jungly assault again. Yeah, I'm sure you know this um, in the backdrop. And he was flying a jet suit, which was quite fun. Wow. And how long how long does it take a novice then to get to grips with flying the suit? Uh, it, it is, it is, I mean, I mentioned earlier, it's usually a day. Um, it's a bit like watching a child learn to ride a bike, though. It can either be almost instant, uh, if you don't stress about it, and you listen to the instructions, and you just get on and enjoy it, and you don't have a, in the cycling analogy sense, a knee-scraping incident, which makes you then nervous of it. Um, if you're this, probably the second child who just picks the bike off the lawn and then just goes and cycles about and didn't even realise they should have learnt it, um, we get some clients like that, and some of our team have learned like that. They literally got clipped in, realized they're entirely safe. They can't even go lower than knee height. They realize that all you do is point the engine one way and you get pushed this way, point them that way, get pushed this way, realize that as you lower them, you get lighter, and as you flare them, you get heavier again. And then they get this silly grin on their face, and then they just go. And I can't explain it, but it's just like watching somebody learn to ride a bike. There is so much going on subconsciously. But the, you get to a critical point where your subconscious takes the keys off you and goes, don't worry, never think about it again in the rest of your life. And it's intuitive. And we see that. We've got 50 clients now that have trained with us and all of our seven display pilots as well. And also what's strange is there's no skill fade. We've had some of our team, often in the early 20s, go off traveling or something. And they come back and literally strap in. We put them on the tether just to make sure they haven't forgotten anything. And they got it straight away. Um, I think it's because it's such an innate, natural set of movements if, I, if i'm standing up and i fall to one side what do you naturally do you put your arm out to catch yourself well if there's up to 40 50 kilos of thrust coming out of that arm you're actually more stable than you are than when you've got to find a table somewhere mm -hmm. um so it's funny it's a very strange process yeah i'm almost can sort of sense it in my mind as you talk as you talk through it yeah, if you, watch, if you watch clips of us flying, uh, anybody watching this watch, watches clips, you can sort of close your eyes and imagine there is just a spongy force coming out of your hands. The one on your back is lifting you by the sort of back of your belt, if you like, and lifting the equipment. And the rest is just this beautiful intuitiveness. Uh, and it's a question that um, we often get asked is, oh, how come it's not ripping your arms off? Do you have to be really strong? Well, there's an experiment you can do to feel what it's like. If you stand on your bathroom scales and you record your weight, maybe it's slightly a surprise given it's been locked down, um, if you record your weight and then you lean with roughly straight arms on the bathroom sink or a table until one third of your weight is left on the bathroom scales, registering on the scales, that's what it feels like. Two thirds of your weight is leaning on your arms, but that, that is so easy. You could do it all day. It's just really, you're just leaning. Essentially, that's all you're doing on these engines. What have been your sort of highlights then? Because I've seen you, you've done stuff alongside the military, of, uh, beat, you've been on tel television. What, can you give us some examples of what you've done? Yeah, uh, opened um, the Japanese baseball stadium, uh, season Sorry, last year in a uh, stadium with 50,000 people in it. Um, flew in, you know, lights off, flying around, fireballs, everything. That was pretty special. Um, I've launched cars in China. We've flown in China quite a few times. Uh, everywhere from the Gold Coast and Australia to Brazil to India to all over the US and Canada, uh, all over Europe. Um, we've flown for Red Bull several times. Uh, we've done those air shows I mentioned. Um, we've um, uh, flown around the QE aircraft carrier. That was pretty special. That did something like 7 million views on LinkedIn, of all things. Um, you know, wearing my beret as well doing that. And I got to fly out to the shuttle vessels of all the top brass DOD Pentagon officials coming to visit the Queen Elizabeth aircraft carrier off the coast of Washington. And I got to go and 
shock them with the suddenly a Royal Marine hovering in front of them. That was brilliant. Um, I've flown around artillery pieces. I've flown um, between Navy patrol boats. Um, five of us have flown before in some of our mock race um, sort of trials that we've been doing. We're building a race series which we can talk about later. Um, gosh, yeah, I mean, the list is kind of crazy. As I say, literally 30 separate countries we've flown in. Um, often we've um, taken phone calls from people like, um, or the, not directly from them, but from the people who work for them, from Zuckerberg, Bezos, Musk, Branson. Um, I've done four TED Talks. I've flown at TED 2017. It's just ridiculous, frankly. It's kind of humbling. Every time you get one of these invitations, it's just, you know, you can't quite believe that you're going to do this. Um, and I particularly, to answer your question, I particularly respect the high-profile military ones because who would have thought, you know, you imagine having an idea, you know, I, I know I'm going to design and build a jet suit that's going to pretty much look like an Iron Man suit and then I'm going to fly around a three billion pound brand new aircraft carrier off the coast of Washington in front of the UK's most important top brass allies. Can you imagine writing that letter as an idea? I mean, <laughs> and I got asked by the, uh, by the embassy, the Washington embassy, the UK embassy in Washington to go and do that. I mean, it's just, you just quietly think, gosh, I really hope nothing goes wrong and we'll go and execute and it'll all go smoothly. And it did, uh, luckily. And um, yeah, been a crazy journey. And it's, it's only just the beginning as well, given all the stuff we've got coming. So um, um, obviously the developmental phase is something that's going to go on for the whole, the whole life of this equipment. Um, yeah. Oh, 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 what sort of stage are you now and where do you see it in the future? Yeah, so we, we've d dialed in quite nicely on the, what we call this Mark II suit sitting behind. So it's all printed in polymer and aluminium. So we can now almost press print, not with our machines, but with a bunch of multi-million dollar proper professional machines. And that entire suit gets churned out. We bolt the engines in, off we go. You know, we've got six of them sitting there uh, and we can go, you know, fly anywhere in the world and, and train people. Um, it is kind of limited, though. If you um, weigh much more than, than about 90, 95 kilos or so, and if it's a hot day, um, then uh, it's quite a struggle to really get people comfortably off the ground. But the, the, the air temperature makes quite a difference because the engines, if you think about it, are turning cold air into really hot air. If you put hot air in already, like today, um, then you just get less of a, of a compression ratio and therefore less thrust. Um, so we built um, a what we call a Mark III suit, which is in prototype at the moment. The engines start up in 10 seconds and the whole thing generates about 20 kilos more thrust miraculously for a smaller, lighter, more compact uh, setup. It's quite a step forward. Um, uh, that's going to be hopefully being seen, I reckon, in the next two or three months. It's going to be quite an amazing... Uh, I mean, the fact it's going to be smaller and neater and yet start up almost instantly is going to be, I think, quite a spectacle. Then a leap beyond that, instead of 20 extra kilos of thrust, we've got another one that's got a whole 50 kilos more thrust. Um, that's not a smaller package. Um, it's a little bit bigger than the Mark II one, but it's a monster. I mean, it can carry a very large Royal Marine with a lot of equipment um, or an awful lot of fuel and carry you a long, long way. Um, that's not, not particularly valuable for most of the events we do or client training, but for the military and for us pushing the boundaries from a, a kind of event and stunt point of view, I suppose, then that's, that's valuable. Uh, and then the, the whole extra basket that fascinates me personally is around the transition to aerodynamic flight. If we go back to the Harrier, um, as you know, it points, air, points the, the air downwards when it lifts off, if it's going to do a vertical takeoff, and then those nozzles swivel and it gradually propels itself and uses those little stubby wings to start generating lift. Generating lift from wings is vastly more efficient than generating lift by just blowing air downwards. 
we've already seen it. When we set the Guinness World Record last year at 85 miles an hour, I had a leg wing sort of between my legs. And as I lifted my legs with the air hitting the, the, my legs, my legs come up and that rear engine starts propelling me forwards. I dialed the power down on the suit by about 20% to do 85 miles an hour, which seems perverse, but it's because of the power of that tiny wing starting to generate the lift that my rear engine didn't have to then go and do. So imagine if we scale that further and further forward, we should be able to kind of scissor out and deploy a beautiful little wing system and sit there on possibly as low as 30% throttle, traveling as fast as we dare over water, to be clear, um, you know, 80, 90, 100, 120, you know, kind of lower end wingsuit speeds, um, but using less fuel. So just imagine what that does to our range. Um, all this world is coming, by the way. This is not this is not a fanciful, I could say, flight of fancy. This is all kind of real in the pipeline. So, yeah, I'm very excited by all this stuff. And frankly, lockdown has given us quite a bit of time to progress quite quickly on this stuff. You do know if you let a Royal Marine in that suit, other than your good self, it, it, it's going to get broken or lost. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, it has it has dawned on me that, that I mean we, we sold the last one of these for about three hundred forty thousand pounds. But you know, realistically, we can do this more efficiently for the military. Let's put it that way. Um, we can probably give a bunch of Royal Marines this this almost superhero degree of mobility for a cost that's less than they tend to use in terms of pointy, blowy, uppy things that they don't get back again. So actually, whilst I don't want them to be throwing these away, you almost could un unbox this, uncrate it, clip it in, press go and be anywhere within 5K within a few, a couple of minutes and then unclip and then just not bother with it. I mean, it's quite a ludicrous capability. So, um, but yes, I, I'm, a pre I, I'm, I'm aware that we've got to probably up the robustness slightly for that, that market. <laughs> and let's talk about orders then. How, how is that? How long did it take you before you could sell the first suit? Well, it's never really been our, it's never really been our business model to, to sell them. Uh, we've done it a couple of times for people who really twisted our arms and who came to us and we trained and we saw that they're sensible people. Um, it's not in my interest just to ship these things off to people with an instruction book and see how they get on. You know, to be clear, like a very fast motorbike or a Formula One car, if you open the throttle on either of those, you'll be into a wall at 200 miles an hour within seconds. But it's down to you, right? So that's why people don't really sell those kind of things just willy-nilly, yeah? So with this, if you know what you're doing, there's no reason for it to be dangerous at all. If you just fly, you know, 10 feet off the ground over grass or water, you really can't hurt yourself. But if you chose to have a complete brain freeze, vector down, crank the throttle up, you'll be a 1,000 feet in seconds. Now, I don't want to be responsible for somebody doing that because they weren't properly trained or they weren't of the right mindset. So as a result, they have to come training with us first. And then if they really want us to build one, we can. But uh, it's a bit like I think there's a very high end sort of bunch of Ferraris. Is it the FFX? FFX, I think it is, where you spend about like a half a million dollars and they don't even let you take it away. Um, they kind of get it ready for you around a track. And then when you finish, they sort of take it away again to look after it. It's almost like that. Probably not the greatest retail experience, but that's what it is. We don't need to be bending over backwards to be selling these to everybody. Um, you know, and also from a, you know, it is ridiculously noisy and potentially antisocial if you're going to go and use it in a place where you're not properly set up. So for all of those reasons, and we're protecting, I suppose, our potential customers in that way and ourselves by not just selling these. We did have them on sale in Selfridges for a bit, actually, only because we it was a bit of a mutual PR thing. We flew down a London street and set them set one up in Selfridges and got a lot of interest through Selfridges, which is quite fun. How, how do you stand from a, a patent perspective? Yeah, it's all patented. 
there was a wonderful uh, letter came from the original patent attorney who said, uh, I think you know, was the, the patent office originally said the only prior art, so the only prior IP, if that makes sense, that was identified was the Marvel creation of Iron Man. But because of various precedents, it was then thrown out. But I love the fact that was the closest intellectual property that it was in existence that was potentially being contravened by what we had generated. So, yeah, it's as, as much as you can. It's patented. Mm. Would, would that stop a country like China, for example, ripping, ripping it off? And... No, it doesn't stop. Um, I mean, a patent is such that, uh, in theory, uh, anybody can copy a patent. If, it's if you get commercial benefit out of it. So if you um, start to try and sell or hire out or something, something that infringes a patent, so, um, and then it depends per country as well. We're covered in pretty much every country there is, even China in theory. But yes, it, it, I mean, this gets very boring very quickly, but in theory, um, it stops anybody copying it and then selling it in any normal jurisdiction. Our, our attitude, though, to be honest, is uh, we just outpace most people who try and copy us. There's some people who've tried to copy us and spent a long time trying to learn to fly. And if you look closely at what they've done, they've missed some critical, very fine details of how we've had to learn to set these up. Once you know what you're doing with it, you can make it really easy. If there's a few minor details, and if you get those wrong, then it's really hard. Okay. I'm chuckling at the thought of people going, damn, that's, we haven't got yeah. it right yet. Right. There's a, guy, there's, a guy in, there's a guy in Taiwan, I think it is, who's tried. I, I, to be honest, I chat to him a lot. I, you know, fair play. He's, a, he's an innovator and a pioneer at heart. Yeah. And the culture there, it's fascinating. But the culture, if you go and copy somebody there, it's considered almost you should be flattered that somebody's bothered trying to copy you. It's quite an interesting kind of philosophical point. And he's not trying to sell it or anything. So in theory, he's infringing the pattern. But uh, I, I actually have chatted to him a lot. I haven't told him where he's missed, his, missed a few details because that would be going too far. But, you know, fair play. He's so passionate about what we've done. He's tried to kind of produce his own. Have you had much uh, outside investment? Yeah, the story's funny. So I, I got the very first version in 2017 to fly with my own money, but I didn't really, I spent a surprisingly small amount, uh, which I won't reveal, but it, it's amazing how I managed to repurpose and kind of hack together stuff to get that, to, to sort of prove the concept. Then I took a hundred thousand pounds from a guy who built uh, businesses in media and PR and entertainment areas that I as an oil trader knew nothing about. Uh, then we wrapped up towards the April, 2017 launch. We did that with Wired and Red Bull. They both did launch videos for us because they liked we, we shared, with, shared with them before we launched what we'd done and they loved it so much. They did very graciously brilliant little sort of films which really helped catapult it in the right direction. Um, within a week, we'd done a billion impressions, um, which is amazing. Got a phone call to do uh, TED 2017 from Chris Anderson. He said they'd suddenly rearranged the agenda just for me, which was ridiculous, and said, oh, can you come and fly out there? And I said, well, yeah, okay, even though I'd never flown anywhere outside of this farmyard down the road. Um, and there's a whole silly story of, unpacking pelly cases on the floor of terminal five in Heathrow with jet engines rolling around the place and stuff. I don't know what I must have looked like, but anyway, I got there. But however, I went there to Vancouver via the unusual route of San Francisco. And only because there was a VC group called boost VC run by a guy called um, Adam Draper, who would see what we'd done and said, please come down. We love, we love this. We're passionate about the whole superhero thing. I mean, it is California. Uh, and they said, um, their whole ethos was be your own superhero. That's what it takes to drag a startup over the finish line, all this sort of stuff. Uh, please come out. So I did a flight, very simple flight in their car park or parking lot, as they would call it. Um, I was mostly preoccupied about checking the gear worked after the transatlantic flight and making sure I had some chance of flying it at TED. But unbeknown to me, 
uh, Adam Draper's father is Tim Draper, who is one of the most famous VCs in the Valley. And between them, they are, you know, part of this amazing VC dynasty. Tim is worth several billion as well. They rushed up to me with a hundred dollar bill and gave it to me and said, this is your first revenue for clearing out a parking lot because I blew dust everywhere. It's crazy. Uh, and then they had a quick chat and I was still standing there with the engines just kind of cooling down around me. And they wrote a $650,000 deal on that same banknote for 10% of the company I'd only formed a month earlier. And that's pinned to my wall in the lab around the corner. Um, and since then, we generated all our own money from events and displays and all sorts of other things. So I'm quite proud that in three years, we haven't taken any other money. It's all been our own our own cash generation. Because it's quite easy in these this ludicrous kind of business just to enthrall one VC like that, burn through that money and then look for the next one. And, and actually, it's not the great, greatest sanity check to confirm you're really doing something that the wider world is going to appreciate. Um, so we've avoided that trap. How, how was it breaking? How many world records have you broken? Uh, we've, only, we've only done two Guinness World Record things. I'm looking at the certificates now. They're both for the fastest kind of speed in a jet suit. Um, the first one was back in 2017. Uh, I'd have to remember. November 2017. I'm looking at the wall. <laughs> um, and it was a measly 32 miles an hour. But that was the first time we even ever flew over water. And uh, I didn't really know what I was doing. And actually, it went in the water at the end of that, which is quite funny. That was a pilot error thing. Um, and then back in November 2019, we then reset it at 85. So that gives you a good you know, example of the trajectory of enhancements that we're looking at. Um, so, yeah, just the two. But that was enough. And how can people, members of the public, are they able to come and f- fly? Yeah, so we've got a training set up here in Wiltshire in the UK. We've got another one in California at Camarillo Airport, um, the, the private jet terminal there. And we are just, I was literally doing it yesterday, setting up a new training rig with a team at the Goodwood area where the Goodwood Festival of Speed is. Uh, we know the family there as well, and uh, we're setting up a training rig there. And it's actually that latest rig is looking really neat. It only took us a morning to set up, although it was 33 degrees and it was exhausting. But anyway, um, it's actually a really nice training rig. And, and essentially, you can see all this on our YouTube at Gravity Industries. There's a little film clip there showing what it's like to learn. Um, you get clipped in, you stand on a raised platform, quite a big grated platform, uh, sort of size of a half a squash court kind of thing. And that's just to let the warm air blow away whilst you're learning. Uh, And with the tether, you can't even go lower than knee height. So you can't stumble and fall over or anything. And we just progressively step you through different power levels and you just gradually learn in in the most benign, calm, fun way. And we've trained over 50 people, guys and girls, up to even the age of 70. Um, And it seems to be something we've never had a bad kind of feedback from. People seem to lose their minds regularly um, with the experience of being inside the suit and feeling that power and feeling their feet come off the ground so uh so yeah through our website if you go to gravity.co you can there's an inquiry form there just email and we send you the details through am i allowed to ask what what that would cost somebody yeah it, it's around five thousand pounds or so for a day um potentially sharing up with a couple of other people that are also paying that or you can share your time with a couple of others um, it's pretty expensive, but then it's competing with those kind of events I mentioned that were paying us $100,000 for three days to go out and do an event. So it, it's, you know, if I may say, you know, we, we have to just allocate our finite amount of time between R&D, between events and training people. And there's just not enough hours in the day to fit all the things in that we should be doing. So um, that's, the, that's the price at the moment. It'll get gradually cheaper, um, especially with things like we've got an electric version that we built that if we can 
work out how to power it from the ground in a sufficient way, then you could do a sort of training day with the electric version to learn that and then graduate onto the jet version in the afternoon. That would make it cheaper, for instance. Um, So, yeah, that's what it is. So on the YouTube video, Richard, I'm going to put all your links below it. Uh, But for people listening on iTunes, where where can they get hold of you? How can they follow you on social media? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, so YouTube is it search for Gravity Industries um, on most other social media. If you look for Take on Gravity, like you're fighting it, Take on Gravity, particularly on um, uh, Instagram. We've got an awful lot of uh, clips on there. And thanks to Instagram being the perfect platform for no attention span, you've got lots of, you know, 10 second, five second little clips, examples from all over the world of what we've been doing. So that'd be a nice compliment to, to uh, trying, to, trying to work it out from listening to this. Brilliant. Richard? You've been an amazing guest. Thank you ever so much. I know you're an incredibly uh, busy entrepreneur, inventor. Um, and so thank you for, for, for taking the time out to chat on no the T-shirt podcast. To our friends at home, please like and subscribe if indeed you do like. Thank you for watching another edition of the Bought the T-shirt podcast. Massive love to you all. Please take care. Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username, Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris.Thrall. Thank you.